0: We are in the uh, uh, first section, first chapter on the stream entry, and we just finished the uh, uh, the readings about the first factor, the uh, supportive of stream entry, which is um, the uh, association with superior persons, Sapurisa Sangseva. And we're about to start on the second factor, which is. Um, Saddama, uh, Saddam Savana, Oh no, sorry, we, we did the second factor, and um, we'll start on the uh, third factor. Is that right? Who was paying attention yesterday? I think we did the first two factors, and, and uh, starting on the third one. Very good. We get points. <laughs> Uh, But before we do that, um, I thought uh, going back to that reading about um, being on the deathbed and um, or Mahanama, the ruler of the Sakyans, being afraid about uh, being knocked down in the street and dying when his head's full of all sorts of stupid rulership uh, anxieties and um, such like, you know, what will happen if I'm knocked down by a stray cart or an elephant or a horse and uh, my mind is is tied up with all kinds of um uh random thinking and uh i also i uh, remembered a um uh a dialogue that took place between uh lumpur cha and one of the western monks uh venerable Varapanyo, as he was at that time paul brighter as he is now and uh has translated many of lumpur cha's teachings and um uh, I wasn't present for this, but uh, there was a, a few other people that uh, that were. So this is described in uh, several of uh, Ajahn Chah's teachings, and I think Warapanya uh, might even have a, an account of it himself. Um, so the, what happened was that uh, some lay people came in from Bangor village and said, um, oh, poor, Lumpur, Lumpur, um, poor, I forget the name of the villager, poor Boon or Foyai <laughs> So call him Poor Boone for the sake, like Mister Merritt. Uh, yeah, Poor Boone's passed away, um, or you know he's very, very ill, and we think he's going to pass away uh, in the near future. Please, can you can you come in and and um, uh, and see him and spend a bit of time with him um, and give him some encouragement um, because uh, we don't think he's going to last much longer. And so Long Po said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> just, just, uh, just come and tell me when he's gone, and then we'll do the appropriate chanting. <laughs> and then, uh, so, um, and then just sort of shooed them off. And so, Varapanyo, being another true, righteous,ly indignant American, that uh, I'm also, I have, I have dual nationality, so I can insult Americans <laughs> freely. But, uh, so I'm American too. Of, people often think my accent is is um, not English anymore, but I've asked if I'm South African or Australian or American. So anyway, being righteously indignant, as soon as the lay people had gone away, then Mura which is, in, in Thai culture, calling into question the, um, the judgment of the, the great Ajahn, is, is not done. Capital N, capital D. It's like, no, you don't do that. But he did. He said, Lumpur, that was really awful. How could you do that? You know, they uh, the man's dying, and they're been they're, they're kind of devoted disciples of yours. You know, It wouldn't take much effort for you. I mean, the village is not far away, and, you know, just outside the the monastery. Uh, you know, just uh, a couple of kilometers away. You know, <coughs> wouldn't have been any effort. You know, rah, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. And so uh, <coughs> Cha said, you know, that uh, poor boon, uh, he. He's lived a pretty heedless life for the last 40 or 50 years. So you know, if, I, if I go to him and I say, okay, poor Buddha, now you know, um, here's the instruction on the Dhamma. Um, say, okay, you now follow, uh, follow me as I give you some advice. Okay, Buddha, 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 yeah. you know, and I'm trying to teach him mindfulness of breathing or meditating on Buddha. It's just going to make him more confused. So the easiest thing is just leave him be. And uh, and just sort of be a, uh, in the environment he's familiar with, and just let him pass away like that. So of course Varapanya didn't let go, like, but that's ridiculous. No, <laughs> no, You could have helped him. And so um, at the time, Lumpur, uh, Lumpur Cha had his walking stick kind of hooked onto the side of his chair. So and Varapanya was sitting right in front of him. So he picked up his walking stick and he put it in the middle of Varapanya's chest and then pushed him. And then stood on top of him. You know, <laughs> pushing down on his stick, pressing on his chest so so he can't breathe. So, okay, now. Bud. <laughs> no.
1: oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh,
0: oh, oh. Come on, come on. Bud, Bud on the in-breath.
1: Ooh.
0: go <laughs> on the outbreath. Ooh. <laughs> and uh I said, come on, Warapanya, I'm trying to give you instruction, you know. So he really uh, milked it. <laughs> as they say, for all it was worth. And I said, oh, you like candies, don't you? Would you like a candy? If you don't want to do anapanasati, would you like something sweet? I can give you a candy. Oh! <laughs> I thought you liked candies, upon you. <coughs> so eventually he let him breathe again. He said, okay, do you get the point? <laughs> and so that uh, entered into the uh, archives, the annals of the uh, Wapwapong history um, and so sometimes the the most kind thing to do is to not be kind of giving good advice and being helpful but just leave people be there's also another story i often tell about uh ramdas when his uh he was with his stepmother as uh, uh as she was dying and uh, as most people probably know ramdas is quite well known as a spiritual teacher he was an american psychologist that um, professor at Harvard University and took lots of LSD with Timothy Leary and became a kind of spiritual teacher, a guru. Written a lot of very influential and helpful books. And he's quite an expert on death and dying and given workshops. And written, written about it a lot. So there he is beside his dear stepmother as she's passing away. And so he's giving her this guided meditation. And, and he told this story, so it, it's not too insulting so he's giving you this guided meditation say okay mom just you know follow the breath in you know, as deep as it'll go and then and then uh, and as the breath comes in just let yourself be filled with the light and you know there's just you and the oneness of the light and as you breathe out let everything go and giving this kind of instruction and um uh and he's very I- intent on this uh, you know he- you know, wanting to help his his mother and um, And then he said, what happened was, uh, so he was giving this guided meditation for about 20 minutes, half an hour. And after a time, his stepmother turned to him and said, Ramdas, be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. So busy trying to be helpful. He said, oh, right, she's involved in this too. It's not, it's, it's her death, not my project, you know. It's, uh, I've suddenly taken over, it's become my, my responsibility. She's the one who's dying. so because sometimes it's most helpful just to leave things alone. <clears throat> so we come to the third factor for stream entry. And that's careful attention, Yoniso Manasikara. This term can be translated in many ways. Wise consideration, skillful reflection, clear thinking, Appropriate attention, keen application of mind—all different ways that, um, that uh, it's translated. Also, um, uh, wise reflection is uh, another rendering. Also, this is the term that uh, <coughs> that um, uh, is uh, is very very common and is one of the um, uh, the the factors of uh, of, of mind that. Um, appears in many, many lists and is, uh, is conducive to the development of wisdom in many ways. The importance of this element in the development of the qualities useful for understanding and penetrating truth cannot be underestimated. And the first uh, passage we quote from here is from uh, Sanyutta section 45. Bhikkhus, this is the forerunner and precursor of the rising of the sun. That is, the dawn. So too bhikkhus. For a bhikkhu, this is the forerunner and precursor for the arising of the Noble Eightfold Path. That is, accomplishment in careful attention. When a bhikkhu is accomplished in careful attention, it is to be expected that he will develop and cultivate this Noble Eightfold Path. And that image of the the dawn uh, being the forerunner or heralding the, the rising of the sun, that's an image that the Buddha used quite regularly. So, he uses it here as the the dawn, uh, uh, the, uh, sorry, the, um, uh, uh, the Yoniso Manasikara. Uh, careful attention is the forerunner, like the precursor of the development of the old, uh, Eightfold Path. He also uses it um, in, uh, in a different section of the Sangita. And he says, that, you know, right view uh, is the forerunner of the penetration of the Four Noble Truths. So that um, that image of the light filling the sky and then, the, then that sky getting brighter and then the sun rising afterwards. So that, that forerunner or that precursor uh, image, so that uh, that's a, a common motif that the, the Buddha uses. So uh, careful attention is the forerunner and precursor of the arising of the Noble Eightfold Path. Then the next passage comes from the very useful uh, meditation teaching, the uh, uh, second discourse in the uh, Majjima Nikaya, the middle-length discourses, and that's called the Sabhasava Sutta, or all the outflows or all the taints. Because I say that the destruction of the taints is for one who knows and sees, not for one who does not know and see. Who knows and sees what? Wise attention and unwise attention. When one attends unwisely, unarisen taints arise, and arisen taints increase. When one attends wisely, unarisen taints do not arise, and arisen taints are abandoned. So the word taint means something that is a corruption or pollution or something that spoils uh, spoils something. Um, that's the the translation that Bhikkhu bogdi and Bhikkhu Nyanamoli use for Asava. Also the word the outflows. Um, is uh, uh, also used, or the corruptions. uh, uh, There are many different translations for it. Because a well-taught noble disciple, who has regard for noble ones and is skilled and disciplined in their Dhamma, who has regard for true men and is skilled and disciplined in their Dhamma, understands what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. Since that is so, he does not attend to those things unfit for attention, and... He attends to those things fit for attention. What are the things unfit for attention that he does not attend to? They are things such as that when he attends to them, the unarisen taint of sensual desire arises in him, and the arisen taint of sensual desire increases. The unarisen taint of being, of bhava, arises in him, and the arisen taint of being, of bhava, increases. The unarisen taint of ignorance, avicha, arises in him. The arisen taint of ignorance increases. These are the things unfit for attention that he does not attend to. And what, are the, and what are the things fit for attention that he attends to? They are things such that when he attends to them, the unarisen taint of sensual desire does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of sensual desire is abandoned. The unarisen taint of being, of bhava, does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of being is abandoned. The unarisen taint of ignorance does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of ignorance is abandoned. He attends wisely. This is suffering. This is dukkha. He attends wisely. This is the origin of suffering. He attends wisely. This is the cessation of suffering. He attends wisely. This is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. When he attends wisely in this way, three fetters are abandoned in him. Personality view, Sakhaediti, Doubt, vichikicha, and adherence to rules and observances, silapata-paramasa. These are called the taints that should be abandoned by seeing. And if you remember, there was another passage we had from this same sutta about unwise attention. Back in chapter 5, which was on to be and not to be. And so, just to read that, um, as another example of unwise attention. This is how they attend unwisely. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what? What did I become in the past? Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? What shall I be in the future? How shall I be in the future? Having been what? What shall I become in the future? Or else they are inwardly perplexed about the present. Thus, am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where will it go? And so on. So that general kind of puzzled, uh, confused, doubting thinking that uh, doesn't have an ending, so that uh, the, uh, the wise attention that the Buddha is encouraging here also fits uh, very, uh, very closely. It's a direct match on the establishment of right view, and the right view, Samadhiti, is, is uh, defined Uh, most often as seeing things in terms of the Four Noble Truths. So attending wisely the Yoni Sol Manasikara, that wise attention, wise reflection, is seeing things, uh, again, through the the lens of the Four Noble Truths. So rather than, um, this is good, or that's bad, or I don't like, or I don't like, or it should be this way, or it shouldn't be this way, uh, to notice, oh, this is Dukkha. Getting what you want. Uh, And, you know, when uh, we might think, well, that's not Dukkha, that's... That's pleasant. You know, I, I wanted that to happen and it's happened. So we, we, uh, that's unwise attention. Hooray, my, my favorite football team won their match. Hooray. Oh, my, my team got beaten. Ooh, boo. The, the food I was preparing this morning, I spent three days uh, working on the menu and it was a total disaster. Oh, everyone hates, everyone hates me. The 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 uh, the thing that I prepared this morning that um, I've been thinking about for three days. Everyone loved it, and there wasn't enough. They want they want me to cook it again. Hooray! So this is dukkha, <laughs> because uh, uh, even when things are pleasant, and the mind identifies with them and attaches to them, then and I'm just using some sort of mundane uh, sensory examples. But whatever the pleasant or painful feeling might be, that. Even if it's something that we call pleasant or success or or what we would like, oh wow, look at that! That's great. Then, if one's seeing with right view, then the recognition of that that great. There's a barb in there. There's a there's a um, uh, a sharp point you know, that's that's hidden in there. Because as soon as you attach to something that you think is wonderful and good, you know, being pleased about the um, the, the food you just cooked, or the success of your children in university, then then uh, then when that is no longer supported, when they say, well, actually, I don't want to finish my degree, Dad. <laughs> then that same success is a cause for suffering. Or or that um, you made that, uh, that dish that everybody loved, and then you've tried 15 times, and you can't do it again. It won't come out the same way. Ah! So even though it's quite adequate, Every time it doesn't come out the same way that it did the first time, dukkha. So that um, when we see through the lens of the Four Noble Truths, that means that there's, that there's recognizing, oh, they're, they're, this is suffering, and the cause of it is wanting things to be this way. Um, that, that kind of self-centered clinging, grasping, uh, desire. And then dukkha nirodha, when the clinging stops, then the, the, the dukkha stops and seeing that the way to cultivate that, that ending of Dukkha is, is the Eightfold Path through Sila, Samadhi, and Panya. So the next uh, passage is from the um, Sanyutta Section 22. And this is uh, the Venerable Maha speaking with the Venerable Sariputta. Sariputta, my friend, Which things should a virtuous monk attend to in an appropriate way? Sariputta responds. A virtuous monk, Kotita, my friend, should attend in an appropriate way to the five clinging aggregates as inconstant, stressful, a disease, a cancer, an arrow, painful, an affliction, alien, a dissolution, an emptiness, not self. Which five? Form as a clinging aggregate, feeling, perception, fabrications, consciousness as a clinging aggregate.
1: A virtuous monk should
0: attend in an appropriate way to these five clinging aggregates, as inconstant, stressful, a disease, a cancer, an arrow, painful, an affliction, alien, a dissolution, an emptiness, not self. For it's possible that a virtuous monk attending in an, in an appropriate way to these five clinging aggregates as inconstant, not self, would realize the fruit of stream-entry. So this is um, uh, also quite a common teaching, where the the Buddha talks about um, the five khandhas and uses this string of of, um, descriptive words. They have it as as impermanent, so anicca first of all, then stressful, dukkha, anicca, dukkha, then a disease, a cancer, an arrow, like being shot, Painful, an affliction, alien, a dissolution, emptiness, and not self. Anatta. So that's quite punchy language. That uh, <laughs> the, the Buddha was getting attention. Also, he speaks in exactly the same way about uh, conceiving, like the, the any conceptions that the mind creates, any sense of I and me and mine. So, you know, conceiving is a is a, an affliction. It's alien. It's it's painful. It's a a, a dart, an arrow. Uh, alien and so on So that's kind that's quite punchy language, but it's also very helpful insofar so as um, It's very common for us as, as people to feel like we don't really belong Anybody ever had that feeling? <laughs> well, this is pointing out why because we don't The, the five kundas are alien <laughs> That body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, that's not what we are. So no wonder we feel like, like we don't belong, or we don't, we don't really fit, or we're alien, or it doesn't quite. this isn't quite right. And the, the Buddha is saying, well, that's, that's intrinsic in the system. You know, As soon as you think, I am the body, I am the personality, I am this thing, there's this, Ooh, it's not quite right, it doesn't quite fit. You feel like you're in a foreign country, or you can't, don't quite know the language, or you don't quite know the, the forms. You're kind of a a fraud. When I was growing up, um, as a teenager in particular, I used to think I was. I had this feeling I was a fake human being. I wasn't really a. I wasn't really a person, which is a kind of weird feeling to have. Like I, I just felt like I was a fraud, and not just in the things that I said, because I could be quite sort of um, deceitful or inflated or egotistical, but just being a person. Just like I felt like, well, I. Uh, this is this is a fake entity <laughs> I'm not really I'm not really this I didn't know what I was sure. or but there was this feeling of of fakeness then the more uh, but then whenever I talked about that or well, that kind of thing came up in conversation I realized oh a lot of other people think this way too <laughs> the that feeling of not quite belonging and so um, the <clears throat> the the language is, is, is quite um, charged, is emotive, you know, saying that the, the five khandhas, you might think, well, I, quite, I love the body, or, you know, my, my, <laughs> my, my world is quite beautiful, I, like, you know, I love the trees and the sky and the other people, you know. Aren't we supposed to have loving-kindness for all beings? Uh, am I supposed to think, look at Ajahn Chittapar and think she's a disease, a tumour, a poisoned arrow, alien? Well, she's German, you know. But... <laughs> I'm also part German. My my grandfather was German too, so I can insult the Germans. Cause, <laughs> but it, so it can seem counter to that kind of sense of inclusivity or acceptance or loving kindness towards all things. But the the Buddha was um, he was he was teaching um, in various ways in various situations, and the the teachings. Are there to to have a particular effect in particular circumstances? So, in uh, in this respect, uh, you have this conversation between Mahakotita and uh, Sariputta, and um, venerable Sariputta is using this kind of language to emphasise the the, the non identification with the five khandas. So, um, not just saying they're anicca, dukkha, anatta, but really sort of <laughs> pressing the point because the the capacity of the mind to identify it with the khandas and say, "Yeah, but you know, that you know, that, that, this really is mine. Or that this really is important. Or this this is really what I am. And, you know, I am a person. Or that is my dad. Or I am English. Or you know, uh, I am sick. Or you know, I am a monk. You know. And that that the um, this kind of language is very helpful in terms of <coughs> sort of." Bringing the attention to all those uh, matter-of-fact identifications and things that we take for granted, and they, they might be positive or they might be negative. Um, like a, it could be an ongoing feeling of self-criticism or, or a lack of worthiness or being, um, uh, you know, a failure or, or a, a, um, a an ill person or a, a you know, rejected person. But it's pointing to the, that that uh, the the mind's relationship to the to the five khandas: form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, and underscoring this sense of that's not self, that's not who and what we are, that's not the reality of of uh, of uh, of things. It's, a, it's an appearance. It's a seeming. And so that uh, even though the the language can seem quite um, off-putting, it's extraordinarily skill is a skillful means. It's an upaya to help. Mind to see its its uh, habits of identifying with a, a social role, being a, a younger person, or an older person, being a woman, being a man, being
1: uh, being a monastic
0: lay person, or you know, whatever um, the mind might fixate on. It's to to in a sense get that tire lever between the the rim of the wheel and the tire to kind of prize the, the 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 tire off the rim. The significance of Yoniso Manasikara can be seen more clearly in this next passage. The mind's ability to reflect on and consider the true nature of things affects its ability to penetrate the Dhamma, particularly if the heart perceives Nibbāna as something unsatisfactory. It would not conceive the desire to realize it as a goal. So let's say, for example, if 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 you hear that previous teaching, you think, well, I don't want to see the world as sort of alien, as foreign, as a disease, as a tumor, as a dart, as, a, as something you know, that's, that's decaying. I don't, I don't want to see life like that. That doesn't sound like peace or happiness to me. That would be um, <coughs> exactly, the same say, seeing Nibbana as something unsatisfactory. The capacity of the human mind to miss what is important by not paying appropriate attention is quite ordinary, and it has troublesome consequences. So this is from the uh, Middle-Length Discourses, the Majjhima Nikaya, and this is from a sutta called If a Bhikkhu Should Wish. And that's the phrase that the Buddha uses over and over again through the teaching. Truly, O monks, that a monk who considers any formation as permanent, any formation as pleasant, anything as a self, who considers Nibbāna as suffering, unsatisfactory, as dukkha, That uh, someone who considers that can have a conviction that conforms with the Dhamma, that cannot be. And that one who is without a conviction that conforms with the Dhamma should enter into the certainty of rightness, that too cannot be. And that one who has not entered into the certainty of rightness should realize the fruits of stream entry, once returning, non-returning or arahantship, that too cannot be. But the English is a little bit complex there, so I'll just read that again. This is a Venerable Nyanaponika and Bhikkhu Bodhi translation. Truly monks, that a monk who considers any formation as permanent, any formation as pleasant, anything as self, who considers Nibbāna as suffering, so if that person uh, um, can have a a conviction, or a faith that is in, in accord with Dhamma, that conforms to the Dhamma, that cannot be so you can't think of oh, this formation, this this thing is is intrinsically pleasant, or this thing is intrinsically mine, or or is, is what what I am, or that it's um a uh something that's, that this thing is somehow permanent. To to think that, or to think that nibbana is unsatisfactory, and to be thinking in accordance with Dhamma, that's impossible. That cannot be. And that uh one who is without a conviction that conforms with the Dhamma, without having faith in the Dhamma, uh, without having a, a faith that is in accordance with, with reality, should enter into the certainty of rightness. That too cannot be. So that um, if, you, if the mind isn't doesn't have faith or conviction in accordance with Dhamma, it can't possibly be in tune with what's real. And that one sh- who has not entered into the certainty of rightness, should realize the fruits of stream entry once returning, non-returning, or arahantship. That too cannot be. So that if there isn't that uh, accord- uh, accordance with what is true, and what's real, then it's impossible to realize stream entry or the other attainments. That makes sense. Any other questions or thoughts on the the previous readings? Like uh,
1: when, when I like uh, when I try to see. Like watch real beyond my like, uh, uh, perception, like a limited perception. I see this, like, uh, I feel really helpless about like, distortion in my distortion in my perception. And then I cannot help it. Like, uh, I can feel that I'm, I'm seeing something, like a person or the situation, in a wrong way. But I feel like I'm really helpless, I cannot help it, it's, it's like a distortion is so much like a, what is it, like a, something, it's something that cannot be stopped by my, like a willpower or something like that, so I feel like a, sometimes I feel really deep sad, or sometimes I feel really like a, a, frustrated, and then, yeah, and then this kind of, just this, this distortion sometimes it takes a while to realize that it was really like a deep big a deep distortion but sometimes it takes like a day or a couple of hours and I like to I have this you know, like a strong like a desire to have like a to to have a really right view to 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 have some like a like a strong foundation about right view. You know, like a like a, I want to be a really wise person to see the situation mm-hmm. in like a really, like a very positive, very, like a middle way or something like that. But I, I see lots like of just distortion all the time, every day, like a million, million times a day. Like, a, to be honest, like, a, like a, I'm really judgmental when I see someone, like a person, particularly. And it's really subtle. So. I feel, sometimes, I feel lots of emotions about this
0: distortion. But that which knows distortion is not distorted. So that the, that, and so that, that's the kind of thing to reflect on, even if it's not sort of apparent, just to drop that into the mix, say, well, that which knows this feeling of distortion isn't distorted. Ooh. And in that moment, ooh, then there's a, there's a kind of self-forgetting they um i don't uh, I don't have a mind I, I, my mind works in words, big surprise, um, <laughs> being a, a wordy kind of a bloke. so my mind doesn't usually think in images, in visual images very much, but once in a while it does, and uh many years ago i was uh, I had this three month long uh, retreat in the forest in Chithurst. Back in those days, there was only one Kootie in the forest, so we take it in turns um. Uh, you know, after you finish ten years, uh, uh, then you uh, you got to spend three months in the kuti in the forest. That was the system in the old days. So I was having my three months in the kuti in the in the forest, Chidhurst, and um, then uh, during that time, this, uh, there was one sort of in, somewhere in the middle of the retreat, I had this this quite um, uh, sort of vivid mental image that came up. So in this image, uh, I was sitting in this, in this cave, and out in front of me there was this huge starlit sky, a really, really black sky with millions and millions of stars. And, and, and whenever there was this feeling of, oh, I want to be out there amongst the stars, <coughs> then there was this, uh, this very distinct sense of a, of a chain around my leg, like uh, a manacle. Uh, on my leg with a chain so as I sort of went to the cave mouth then there's this chain sort of holding me back and so the but then what I began to notice was that if there was a uh, a letting go of self then the, uh, the then the not not only did the chain vanish but the but I vanished too and it was just the stars and then the mind would go oh this is great now you know. I'm out, I'm, I'm, I'm out there with the stars and then, <laughs> then the the chain would come back and they would be back in this sort of human form in the cave mouth. <clears throat> and over this this, um, this period of time, an hour or two hours, there was this sort of, um, you know, I want to be out amongst the stars. But As long as there's, there's the I want or I, you know, the, the, as long as there was me, there was the chain. But when there was the letting go of me, there was no chain. But no, me either. There was just the stars. So that uh, when the mar- it was it was a, uh, it went on and on and on. It was the same kind of image for a long time, and it was uh, it had a big uh, a big impact because it was really clear. Like, oh yeah, I can't have right view because I'm there. <laughs> I can't be a wise monk because that, that there's this that, that's the chain. That's the uh, <clears throat> that's the manacle. the the, the thing that's that's. Tying the mind down is me who wants to achieve, me who wants to be somebody, me who wants to have all these good qualities, all these noble, fine, great spiritual qualities. That, that's the thing, that's the, ch- that's the chain, like self-view is the sort of number one fetter. I mean, it was, it was kind of like fetter, number one, fetter, like on the <laughs> you know, manacle on the leg, fet- you know, you are fettered. It was like, it, it couldn't have been much more obvious. And it was and it went to look back and forth and back and forth. So when there was a letting go of self, then there was just this the the experience of the huge open uh sky and all the stars and a sense of, of simplicity and delight. And then uh, and then as soon as that the mind grasped it and said, Oh, this is great, now I've really <clears throat> then then there was the you could feel the this chain on my on my leg again. So just having that kind of an image of uh, you know, "I am the problem," the "I" is the problem, yeah, and that "I" can and like Olympus, and there's dozens and dozens of Lumpur speakers talks when he says the same thing like you know, "I can't be enlightened," uh, you know, I, "I can never the person can't be enlightened," the mind can be enlightened from the person, <laughs> can be liberated from the person, but the, the person can't be liberated, yeah, and that so that that just knowing that there's, a, there's an interesting reading that uh, hopefully we'll have time for today um, where that the mind can recognize that but just recognizing it doesn't mean to say that it stops the the clinging but at least it knows that just like you're describing you're knowing this um, this kind of um, grasping at the, and that uh, and <clears> that this sort of big tangle but the mind that knows it uh, is not entangled, and that just to to drop that in as a little reminder, it doesn't mean that the tangling goes away, but it gives it a perspective. Like oh, and and in in that moment where the, there's that, reminding, and in a way that's what yoni so manasikara, that wise reflection is, you know, that which knows the tangle isn't entangled. Ooh, <laughs> and they said, well, but you know, you can't get out of it like that. <laughs> And then this gets re retangled, but in that moment of oh, even if it's just like a quarter of a second, that the the heart knew that that's the fact, and that's all you need. It's just like okay, that's that's the bit to trust is that quarter of a second. The other twenty three hours fifty nine minutes fifty nine and three and and three quarters of, of a second is not to be trusted. That one quarter of a second is, so that's one of the reasons why patience is the kind of principal tool of spiritual training. It's like, okay, well maybe tomorrow there'll be half a second, maybe not, but okay, that's at least that. Uh, this is this is uh, the uh, the right direction to be going. In. Okay. And if you're waiting for it, the difficult stuff to be over, it's going to be a long, long. So it's best to just throw away your watch, really. Don't wait for it to be over. Hmm? If you're waiting for it to get better, then it, it, you just make it worse. So it's like, it's figuratively speaking, throw away your watch. And say, Okay, I'm not waiting for this to be over. And, and even if you don't really mean it, kind of, if you pretend that you do, it still has an effect. Fake it till you make it, as they say. <laughs> just playing nonchalant. I don't care, this can just go on for the rest of my life, a thousand lifetimes, ten thousand lifetimes, I don't care. Okay. And even if something is going, ah, don't even think that. <laughs> yeah, I've done this many times. If on the surface level you say, that's okay, it's okay. It's... If, it's, if I just have to, if I have to endure this for... And this, again, I took this from, from Lumpur Sameda, he said, because he, he was very competitive and jealous of uh, other monks, was very um, ambitious, and um, and so he he realized that he just created so much suffering for himself. Was trying to trying to be better, and to to um, uh, be you know being impatient with himself, impatient with other people, and so he, he created this re- reflection. He said, "Okay, if I can just to be a little bit more patient by the time I die, just a little bit more patient, then my life will not have been wasted." Very, very low expectation. He said, if I can just live my whole life as a monk, and if I can just be a, just a fraction more patient at the end of my life than I am now, then my life will not have been wasted. And then you hear this sort of ambitious creature going, P-p-p-p-p-p-p-p-p-p. you know, I want to be a super monk. You know? and, uh, and, uh, and so he's thank you for sharing. He you know, quietly <laughs> leave that aside. And just to, but then the, the power of that kind of reflection is like, if if I have to endure this yeah, for the next rest of my life, or the next thousand lifetimes, next ten thousand lifetimes, that's okay. I can endure it. There's this incredible peace, this, this contentment, a sense of, ah. and then things change. But if you try and wangle it, like I'll get things to change by pretending that I you know, I don't care whether it changes or not, then that kind of <laughs> the inner wangling has its own effect. But it, just to, a, to the extent that you can be sincere and just to state that, say, okay, if it's just like this forever, that's all right. I can bear it. Yeah. It's humble. It's content and humble. And then that's, that creates the causes for, for great peacefulness, spaciousness. You're not always saying, it's got to be like this otherwise I can't be happy. That's got to change otherwise I can't be happy and you, you're creating all these un- unconsciously, we create all these obstacles and, and uh, difficulties. Right, it's got to be this way for me. It, yeah. I'm so special, life has got to be like this for me. Yeah. 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 And then, and again, uh, if you listen to Lumpo Semedo's talks, so over and over again, he'd say, Why has it got to be like that for me? Like, what, what makes me so special? Why should, light, why should the universe be arranged according to Somato's preferences? Duh! You know, how, could it, how could it be that way? And then when you notice it, it doesn't just sort of switch off the preferences altogether, but it puts them into a whole different light. It's like, well, that's ridiculous. Why would this one human being's preferences be what creates the order for everybody else? And then something relaxes. <sighs> And then there's this quality of, uh, of spaciousness. Oh, that uh, I can be with that, that's all right. That person doesn't have to act in a way that I like. Why, why should they? Just to please me. Why, sh- why should I want to demand anything of them? <sighs> so then uh, you, you find that uh, there's a, a letting go of self-view on a, on a very substantial and radical level. To continue. The fourth and final factor for stream entry is Dhamma Nu Dhamma Patipata or patipa, sorry Dhamma, dhamma patipati. This is usually translated as practice in accordance with the Dhamma, quote unquote. But it can have some other subtle nuances, such as practicing Dhamma appropriately according to the truth. There are many ways of practice, but some of them may, in actuality, not accord with the teachings of the true, or the true way they may be popular or comfortable but yet not be dhamma for practice to yield results it must conform to truth or correct principle another nuance which could be teased out of the phrase dhamma nu dhamma patipatti is practicing in perfect accord with all levels and aspects of the dhamma that is in the context of a, a gradual practice there's a need to attend to fulfilling the foundations before going on to subsequent practices. To accord with Dhamma doesn't necessarily mean that one has to wait for perfect virtue before beginning to meditate. Could be a long wait. A common teaching, both in the canon and in the forest tradition, points points out how wisdom fosters virtue and concentration. This still accords with the principles of Dhamma, but is not necessarily following the linear route now the meaning for the phrase is making sure one follows the Dhamma as one has studied it rather than studying one thing and then practicing in a completely different manner so, um, often the, the the eightfold path is represented as sila samadhi panya virtue concentration and wisdom but uh, it's also the case that the in the arrangement of the eightfold path you have the first two elements are right view and right uh, intention or right resolution, Samadhiti and samasankapala. So those are the two wisdom factors. So in, in essence the path begins with with wisdom and then you get um, sila and then you get samadhi. Um, so there's a very famous uh, Dhamma talk and uh, one of the very first uh, Ajahn Mahabur teachings that were translated into English called Wisdom Develops Samadhi. That was published way back in the early 60s. And uh, Thomas Merton, who was a, a Christian monk, a Trappist monk, in the Christian tradition, uh, called it a spiritual masterpiece. He managed to get a copy of it and read it. And the the theme of the, the talk is that through the use of wise reflection and wisdom, that actually supports the development of concentration and, and the development of, of sila. And so that... Uh, so it's, it's kind of, in a way, goes against the, the traditional forms of you have to have sila first and then you develop concentration and from the concentration wisdom develops, which is the, the customary way of talking about it. But uh, um, uh, Dhamma Abur emphasizes that the wisdom element is, is, uh, is essential and supportive in development of uh, concentration and, and sila as well. So the next passage comes from uh, the 12th section of the Sanjuta, that's the Nidana Vaga, the connected discourses about causation. If a monk practices for the sake of disenchantment, dispassion and cessation with regard to aging and death, birth, becoming, clinging, sustenance, craving, feeling, contact, the sixth sense media, name and form, consciousness, fabrications, ignorance, he deserves to be called a monk who practices the Dhamma in accordance with the Dhamma. So, if there's the point of, of you know, intention behind practicing is disenchantment and dispassion with regards to the whole dependent origination uh, set of, of uh, links, linked factors, then um, that's uh, defined as being uh, practicing the dhamma in accordance with dhamma. One way that accords with dhamma is the relinquishing of stinginess. The stingy, stinginess. Uh, some of you might not. That means being, um, um, uh, being selfish or not wanting to share your things. To be, to be stingy is, not, is the opposite of being generous. But one way that accords with Dhamma is the relinquishing of stinginess. A sotapana's generosity is deeply ingrained in the heart. It does not need to be thought through. It has brought about the need for rules to be laid down in the Vinaya, the monastic code, to protect those lay seka, literally the ones in training, but referring to at least stream-enters, and also once-returners and non-returners, whose means were diminishing but faith-increasing. They would tend to be overly generous, and the Buddha felt it necessary for the Sangha to be alert to their needs as well. So one who is a, a stream-enterer or a... Uh, has reached the, the various levels of realization. They're naturally generous, and so the, the we have part of our vinaya rules is if you're uh, on your arms round and you know there's a, a house where there's poor people who are also sekha, who are people who are stream enters or non uh, once returners or non-returners, then you should not go by their house every day because they'll tend to give you too much more than they can really afford, because they have. That strong faith, they'll, they'll overlook their own needs and and give to support the community. So that you're actually supposed to avoid their houses, um, not every day, but uh, you should uh, be cautious about overburdening the generosity of uh, lay people. And there's there's many other uh, aspects of the uh, of the vinaya um, that also uh, similarly uh, are relating to not uh, overtaxing the generosity of faithful and generous. Uh, Lay, members of the lay community. Macharya is the Pali word used here which is defined in the dictionary as avarice, stinginess, selfishness, envy. One of the principal evil passions and the main cause of rebirth in the petaloka, the realm of the hungry ghosts. And this is from the Book of the Fives in the uh, uh, Ngutra Nikaya. Monks Unless one abandons these five things, one cannot realize the fruit of stream-winning. What five? Stinginess as to one's lodging, family, gains, fame, and Dhamma. Truly, monks, there are these five. Now, the meanest of these five, monks, is this, stinginess as to Dhamma. Stinginess as to Dhamma means jealously guarding one's own knowledge, and understanding to the point where one is unwilling to freely teach or pass it on. The deep generosity of a stream-enterer's heart makes it impossible to be possessive of one's insights or experience, or to be worried that someone may be in competition with oneself. It is very inspiring to observe the selflessness of realized teachers who are always willing to share the teachings and their guidance with others. The following example shows how virtuous conduct and ongoing training in accord with Dhamma are necessary factors for realising sotapati. So speaking of stinginess, um, reading this, it reminded me of a uh, when I was um, helping to lead a 10-day retreat at the uh, IMS, Insight Meditation Society, and um, Joseph Goldstein was there, so we invited him to give a, give a talk. Um, and he gave this, this very, uh, very interesting account of uh, exactly this. So what happened, he was doing, uh, he, he spends a lot of time in solitary retreat. And during this, this uh, time in solitary, then this very um, powerful and, uh, and uh, uh, interesting insight arose in him. he thought, oh, wow, that's really interesting. That's great. I should tell Sharon, his friend and, and um, collaborator, Sharon Salzberg. And he said, oh, this is great. That's really interesting. I should tell Sharon. he thought, wait a minute. And then he said, "I'm working on this book. If I tell this to Sharon, she might, because she's doing a book as well. So she might co-opt this." And then he told this. This whole a lot of the Dharma talk was about his kind of mental uh, wrestling with himself, like of how he's and he saw this happening. Well, <clears throat> and that uh, uh, well, maybe I should tell Sharon, but after she's given her manuscript in. <laughs> well that's not very kind and that's how this sort of wanting to keep this this precious insight for himself and not wanting to have someone else take advantage of it and then but he gave he gave a, a very very fine teaching around that just seeing how the mindset around trying to keep this precious insight for me for it'll be really great I can, I can build the whole second half of the book around this this is great and how that uh, beautiful, uh, noble insight. It was being so sort of co-opted for self advantage, and how he didn't want to share it with his old friend and, and uh, compadre, uh, uh, Sharon. And so then, of course, he ended up going to tell Sharon the whole story. And <laughs> they had a they had a, a good laugh about it, and um, <clears throat> but uh, that does it does occur, and uh, so people can feel very. Proprietary about particular teachings, or say, well, um, you know, that you you quote from some some sutta or some Ajahn and someone says, that's my favorite teaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, so, and uh, that kind of um, generosity is that the, the Buddha said uh, he doesn't teach with a, a closed fist. As an, uh, the Buddha said that uh, he shares the dhamma in an open-handed way. Uh, to continue. Yeah, so the next um, the next sutta is um, from the uh, Majima sutta number six the, if a bhikkhu should wish. again, okay. Bhikkhus dwell possessed of virtue, possessed of the patimokkha, restrained with the restraint of the patimokkha, perfect in conduct and resort and seeing fear in the slightest fault, training by undertaking the training precepts. If a bhikkhu should wish, may I be dear and agreeable to my companions in the holy life, respected and esteemed by them. Let him fulfill the precepts, be devoted to internal serenity of mind, not neglect meditation, be possessed of insight, and dwell in empty huts. The Buddha then continues to describe various ways in which the precepts bring benefit, such as being a source of merit for those who give support, relinquishing unwholesome mental qualities, entering the jhanas and many other higher attainments, including, if a bhikkhu should wish, may I, with the destruction of three fetters, become a stream-enterer, no longer subject to perdition, I mean, like not going down to the lower realms, bound for deliverance, headed for enlightenment, let him fulfill the precepts, be devoted to internal serenity of mind, not neglect meditation, be possessed of insight, and dwell in empty huts. This, this next passage is an example of the results of not practicing in accordance with the Dhamma. King Ajatasattu was obstructed in his ability to realize stream entry even when listening to Dhamma directly from the Buddha due to his being a parasite. So Ajatasattu had killed his father, King Bibbisara. And the words, uh, his fate is sealed, which appears in the quote, means that due to his actions he's irreconcilably destined to a very long stay in the lowest hell realm. <coughs> so this was um, at the end of the um, Samanya Pala Sutta. So the Buddha gave it's a very long discourse. And the Buddha um, uh, explains uh, what the, the fruits of the holy life are. It's a very, very multifaceted and fantastic. Um, uh, very uh, thorough and helpful and insightful talk. And, uh, and at the end of the, this talk, uh, Ajatasattu uh, expresses his, his faith in the Buddha, but uh, he doesn't uh, realize stream entry. And uh, the, this is from the, se- it's the second discourse in the long discourses. Then King Ajatasattu, rejoicing and delighting at these words, rose from his seat, saluted the Lord, and departed with his right side towards him. As soon as the king had gone, the Lord said, The king is done for. His fate is sealed, monks. But if the king had not deprived his father, that good man and just king, of his life, then, as he sat here, the pure and spotless dhamma I would have arisen in him. So sometimes, some kinds of karma are, uh, are that heavy, that they are not repairable. So the, um, they're, they're called the five heinous acts, or the sort of irreparable acts. So um, killing your mother, killing your father, Deliberately uh, to deprive uh, an arahant of life, to kill an arahant, to shed the blood of a Buddha deliberately, and to deliberately create a division in the sangha. Those are the five um, unrepairable acts, so that they will necessarily have a, a very painful and long-lasting uh, uh, negative result. Yeah, and okay. that. <coughs> The, um, the other stories talk about you know, future times when uh, Buddhas will appear and King Ajatasattu will uh, re-arise and uh, a new birth in those realms and uh, having created a lot of um, good karma as well and drawn close to the teaching, uh, we'll be able to do some repairing. But the effects of that, this particular life meant that, uh, that was, uh, no- nothing could be done about that. As the Buddha said, the, the, the king is done for. Yes, you mean dwell in empty huts? What does that mean? It means um, staying by yourself, so living in a kuti. So the, the, there's a very, very common phrase there are these roots of trees because there are these empty huts. Meditate because do not be negligent, lest later you regret it. So choosing to, to dwell alone, choosing solitude and so uh, physical solitude rather than Spending all your time hanging out with your friends in the common room, or the dying shed, or the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Wherever the hang out, the sewing room, or the hangout place. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal. to the <laughs> Just, uh, If you find uh, that, that, why am I spending all my time hanging out with my friends? I should go and seek solitude. So that's, what, that's a phrase that uh, means that. Like in, in the... Um, Ten subjects of frequent recollection by one who's gone forth. Um, do I delight in solitude or not? It's the same same kind of principle. It's, uh, that sort of in- encouraging one to, to choose to be alone and to, to practice meditation.
1: On that subject of memories, just sometimes trying to look at the balance because it's encouraging one to, to, to dwell alone, but then also talking about the benefits of of kind of timely talk on the Dhamma and, and talk with other people and any kind of thoughts on what's, what's the right sort of balance obviously he's saying like to spend a lot of time alone and then when the time is right then then do communicate with others but not to be sort of mingling together so. yeah I mean
0: there's there's a few examples um, when uh, the Buddha went to the Parileya forest um, after he'd left Kosambi with a Bickering bickers of Kosambi, and then uh, he went to the Parileya forest, and there was Anuruda and Kim uh, Kimbila and Nandia uh, that were, and and then uh, he asked them, "Well, how do you live? How do you spend your time?" And they they say, "How we um, we go on arms round each day, and we we help to sort of prepare the, the place for eating, and we carry water jars together, and but we don't bother speaking." For, Doing that thing, um, then we take it in turns to tidy up the eating hall uh, afterwards and throw away, you know, the, put away the things and throw away the scraps. And then he said every five days, then, which is interesting because it doesn't follow the lunar cycle. But he says every five days we spend time together, staying up into late into the night uh, talking on Dhamma, so that they don't bother engaging in conversation. They keep the noble silence um, uh, Five days, and then every five, uh, once every five days, they'll stay out having dumb conversation together. So you um, know, and you can you can make your own um, kind of choices around that. See what's the effect if um, uh, the interactions that you have, how long do they keep resonating? How useful are they? And al- also the um, when y- any any kind of practice that we pick up, the word should is often a big player in that. I should, or the sutta said you should, or the agent said I should. And so should is a very loaded word, like just. It's got a few more letters in it, but it's, it's almost as big as just. Um, you yeah, know, I should, you should, I think you should. Um, and so, the, the, well, is that the whole story, or is that the case? And so it's always important to to measure the, the, what the what's called the monksa the Looking at the results of your, your choices. Okay, having done that, what's the effect? Okay, so we're very diligently every, you know, being totally quiet every five days, and then every then the fifth night, then <laughs> this is kind of explosion of conversation. Okay, so what's the effect of that? And you say, well, actually, it's just, it's a blowing off steam, but also it's a useful things to talk about. Okay, and then I feel very peaceful and happy. Okay. Or, well, it takes me three days to recover after the, uh, after the session. Okay, and duly noted. So you, you're informed. You, you don't let the should come from the, like a, just a theory or an inherited knowledge. But you're, you're using the way things work for you to inform the choices that you make. You realize <coughs> that if you do it that way, even though that's what it says in the book, or that's what the Ajahn said, that you come out totally mangled. Okay, we can do things a different way here. So let's leave it there. It's already gone past seven o'clock. Um, leave it there for today. And uh, there's a few more readings in this chapter that we can. <coughs> t- tomorrow is the observance day, I believe, Hoffman. So there won't be a reading tomorrow. Or the day after, <coughs> so the next one will be Wednesday. We'll carry on with this. And finish uh, finish the chapter on Wednesday.